Good morning and welcome once again to the Glen Allen Church. We're delighted that you're with us today. I don't know if Kelly realized it or not, but going ahead and insisting on singing that chorus anyway is kind of a silent rebellion. <laughs> if you picked up on that, but um, we are glad that you're here. It's been about 15 years ago now that I had the opportunity to have a very interesting conversation with a, a man by the name of Vasil Zhukovsky, who is a uh, professor and the uh, head of the uh, Department of Humanities in a, one of the leading universities in Ukraine. And Professor Zhukovsky had uh, completed a PhD here in the United States years before, back in the 70s. And while he was here during those years, he became a careful student of American culture and society. And he said in that conversation, he said, I concluded that there were three things that make America a great country. He said, one is your democratic form of government. Two uh, is the work ethic of the American people. And three is the fact that Americans are a church-going people. And then he said, but I realize that's changing. Everybody knows that Americans don't go to church like they used to. The estimates are that in the 50s and 60s, about 67% of the population of the U.S. was in church most Sundays. Now, the estimate is that it is about 18% who choose to worship God on a weekly basis. In the past 25 years, 40 million people, 12% of the total population of the U.S., 40 million people have stopped going to church. We're not talking about 40 million people who don't go. We're talking about 40 million people who used to go and who have stopped and who no longer attend church. Naturally, that has led to a lot of discussion about why. Recently, I've been exposed to some books and articles about that. And they're, they're very interesting, and they explore the, the reasons or the potential reasons why. Some say it's because of scandals in churches over such things as child abuse, but other things as well. That that's turned people away, and turned them off, and they've stopped coming. Others say it's because churches are not as welcoming as they ought to be to the LGBTQ people. And that if we were more open to that, then people would not have stopped coming. Others say it's because churches do not incorporate women as readily into their leadership roles and uh, particularly into leadership and worship roles. In a recent book, uh, the authors say that these factors may play a part in what they call the great de-churching, but they also conclude that those are not the major reason why people have stopped going to church. Instead, Jim Davis and Michael Graham have concluded that the problem is simply the American way of life. Their point is that people are so caught up in maximizing themselves as far as their income and as far as their professional advancement that they just don't have time for group commitments for things like church. And so church loses out. For most people, the authors say, leaving church is less like driving off a cliff where you just make a decision, I'm not going anymore because of 
this and more like just driving down a hill where you just gradually get further and further from where you started until you can't see the starting point anymore. But the effect is the same. It isn't a decision. It just happens. They maintain that many people want to go to church, but they have too many hours in the week that are already accounted for, and so church loses out. One writer puts it this way, their lives are stretched like a rubber band, and church attendance ends up feeling like an item on a checklist that's already too long. I think all of those suggestions are interesting, but it seems to me that all of that analysis is seriously flawed. I think there's a much deeper cause to why so many people don't go to church anymore. Not just don't go to church, but don't go to church anymore. First of all, I think focusing on church attendance is understandable because it's measurable. You can do statistics about it. You can talk about percentages. You can talk about how many millions of people. But it's merely a symptom. It's not the problem. It is a symptom of turning away, not the cause of turning away from faith. The cause, I would suggest to you, is a failure of discipleship. The cause is the lack of one's individual commitment to Jesus Christ. That leads people to let other things interfere. Now, I want to make two qualifications here, two clarifications. You know I'm not talking about people who can't come. So you don't need to come up to me afterward and say, yes, but a lot of people are sick. I get that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who voluntarily have stopped attending church. I'm also not saying that church attendance is what determines whether or not you're a disciple of Jesus. In fact, I'm saying just the opposite, that if you are a disciple of Jesus, that determines whether or not you go to church. That when you are a disciple of Jesus, then going to church no longer becomes an option. It is a necessity. Now, I'll come back to that in a few minutes, but for right now, I want us to turn our attention to the scripture reading you heard a minute ago, Matthew 8, verses 18 to 23. It's a very interesting scene. Jesus is in Galilee, and the crowds are pressing about him. They are following him everywhere, and he decides to get into a boat and take his disciples to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. I want you to notice, first of all, our Lord was not interested in accumulating numbers of people. Churches are. Churches are interested in numbers always. Guilty as charged. All of us are interested in that. Because it is a sign, we, we hope, of the effectiveness of the gospel. It is a sign, we hope, of a desire of people to seek God. But it isn't necessarily. And in this case, Jesus knew that these crowds thronging about him were not necessarily looking for him or for the kingdom of God. They were looking to be healed, or they were looking to have their relatives healed, or they were looking for the next free lunch that he so famously gave out. So he got his disciples into the boat to leave, and as he was about to do that, you see, he didn't want, he didn't want numbers, he wanted disciples, but as he was about to leave, two men approached him. Both of them saying that they want to follow him, but both with conditions. The first one is described as a scribe or a teacher 
of the law. And here's what he says to Jesus. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. You know, when I read that, I think, how can you get any better than that? That sounds good, doesn't it? I'll follow you wherever you go. But there's some problems with it. First of all, notice that he calls Jesus teacher and not Lord. And in the Gospel of Matthew, the only people who call Jesus teacher are non-disciples. His disciples never call him that. They call him Lord. But this man calls him teacher. And remember, he himself is a teacher. So it's kind of as if he's talking to what he thinks is a colleague. And he wants to go with Jesus. He wants to learn from Jesus. He's impressed with Jesus' teachings. He wants to enroll in the Jesus Academy. He, he's already got his bachelor's degree. and He wants to get the master's degree by going with Jesus and learning more teaching. And you can tell that this is the problem because look at what Jesus says. He knows that he's devoted to finding out more about teaching. He's learning more, but not to Jesus because Jesus says foxes have holes Birds of the air have their nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, he says to this man, Son, you don't know what you're getting into. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're asking for. Because if you follow me, this is what's going to happen. If you follow me, this is what you're going to give up. If you follow me, it has to be without conditions. Notice that Matthew doesn't say what the man's response was. The second man comes up. He's described as another of the disciples. And that's interesting, isn't it? He is, in some sense, a disciple. But he says, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. I want you to notice the but first. But first let me go and bury my father. Now that sounds okay, too. Because particularly among the ancient Jews, the burial of parents was a, a religious obligation. And you would be shamed if you didn't take care of that. And so this sounds like a reasonable request. Lord, just let me take care of this first, and then I will come and follow you. But here's the problem. Was Papa dead yet? <laughs> you know, when we read that, we assume Papa's already gone, and they're just, you know, i got to go back down to the funeral home. make the. We don't know that he was dead yet. In fact, I doubt that he was, because among the Jews, burials typically took place within 24 hours. So if Papa was already dead, the burial would take place and he could follow Jesus. But what he's saying is, wait till I've fulfilled all these other obligations. Wait until I've taken care of all this other stuff. And then I will come and follow you. And Jesus said, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. In other words, there are spiritually dead people who can take care of things like that. You come and follow me. It has to be without conditions. In both cases, Jesus says following him is a commitment to him, not, not to a set of circumstances. Not to whether or not you're going to have a place to sleep. Not to whether or not you've already taken care of other things that are important to you. It is a commitment to him and not to a set of circumstances. He is the Lord and is to have top priority. Nothing can be more important than following him. No conditions attached. There's a vast difference between being Jesus' disciple and being his student or being his admirer or being a fan. 
there's a huge difference. Now, here's where we run into problems with discipleship and church membership and church attendance. We start getting all those things confused. And we need to get them straight in our minds. We need to get first things in first place, first of all. We need to get first things in first place. And following Jesus has to come first. And when that comes first, the rest will follow. We've got to learn that in our spiritual development. If you're struggling with your spiritual development, here's the problem. You haven't yet put Jesus first. Because once you commit yourself to putting him first, the other stuff will fall in line. I'm not saying it'll be easy. But I'm saying you'll understand where your commitments lie. You'll understand what's important in your life. Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 talks about the aftermath, the immediate aftermath of the preaching of the gospel on the day of Pentecost. When those people cried out, having learned that they had crucified the, the Lord and the Christ, and they said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going down some verses to verse 47. Uh, it says that after those people had repented and been baptized, they became followers of Jesus. They were also added to the church. And it's put this way. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see that? They were hearing the gospel. They were responding to that. They were committing to Jesus. And then God was adding them to the church. The church is what? It's nothing but the body, the collection of those who've been saved by Jesus. That's who we are. That's what we are. And the saved are in the church. But understand this, it is not the church that saves. It's not the church that saves. I've heard people teach that, and it's just heresy. I've heard people teach that, that if you get in the right church, everything's okay. It's, that's wrong, because that makes the church the Savior. The church is not the Savior. If you follow the Savior, he will put you in the church. He will put you in the body of Christ. Sometimes we get the cart before the horse. Sometimes we leave out the, sometimes we leave out the horse. And we just have the cart. And we just get focused, so focused on the church that we don't focus on Jesus. And we start thinking of ourselves as what? Members of the church rather than as disciples of the Savior. And you say, but is there really any difference? Yes. Member is an organizational term. It's not a bad term. But it's an organizational term. As followers of Jesus, we are part of the body of Christ. We're part of the group. We are members. We are members one of another, Paul says. When he wants to describe the church as the body of Christ, he says we, are, uh, we have one head and, and there's one body, but we're all members of it. We're all parts of it. There's nothing wrong with the term, but it's an organizational term. Disciple, on the other hand. Disciple is a relational term. Being a disciple of someone means that you have committed yourself to that person. That's who's going to shape your life. That's who's going to determine what's right and wrong for you. That's who's going to determine what you are going to do. He determines all of that for us because we are his disciples. And when we are his disciples, we are members of his church. What did Jesus say in the Great Commission? He told the disciples, go and what? Make disciples of all the nations. He didn't say go make church members. He didn't say, go see how many folks you can get in the door. 
None of that's bad, don't get me wrong, but we've got to get first things in first place. We've got to teach people to be disciples of Jesus. You go and make disciples of them, and they will be church members. They will be there. They will worship. They will serve. They will proclaim the salvation that is in Jesus. Did you know that in the book of Acts, Christians are referred to as disciples far more times than as Christians, only twice as Christians, and far more times uh, than as members? That's how the early church thought of themselves. They thought of themselves as disciples, as follower, followers of Jesus. And a disciple means, you hear this word a lot, that it means a learner, but it means a lot more than that. Listen, you can learn from a correspondence course, can't you? But you can't be a disciple at a distance. That's all the rage now, isn't it? Distance learning. And that's fine. No problem with that if the, if the idea is to gain information. But you can't be a distance learner of Jesus. You have to be in Jesus' presence. You have to be a committed follower of Jesus. And when you're a committed follower of Jesus, you become an imitator of Jesus. You are not a member of the Jesus Club. You are a follower of Jesus 24-7. Well, you might be wondering, what does that have to do with people who stop attending church? Just this. When people stop attending church, it says that somewhere along the line, there is a failure of discipleship. Somewhere along the line, there is a break in that relationship. It may be that many of those people were never really converted in the first place. Maybe they were not born again. That's what Jesus said you have to be, didn't he? You must be born again. Remember Nicodemus came to him and he wanted to talk theology and he said, we know you're a teacher come from God. No one can do the things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus said, you must be born again. Let's cut to the chase. Let's get down to cases. Let's talk about the real issue. You've got to be born again. And Nicodemus' mind was blown. How can that be when a man's already old? And he said, you've got to be born of the water and of the spirit. Some people never are. They start going to church, but they're not born again. They start going to church, but they never make that decision to actually follow Jesus and to put Jesus first. They never make that decision to be disciples of Jesus. And just being present does not make you a follower of Jesus. So that may be the case with some, that they are unconverted. I don't know. I'm not trying to say who is and who isn't. It's not my business. But surely there are people who are not converted, and that's why they stopped coming. Because they weren't converted anyway. They weren't following Jesus anyway. Others made the decision to follow Jesus. They made the decision to put him first. Some readily, and maybe some too readily. You remember Jesus' parable in Matthew 13 about the sower? And the sower went out to sow, and some of the seed fell on that rocky ground, and some fell on the thorny ground. And then when he explains it, he said that seed that fell on the rocky ground, it's those who, who hear uh, and they, they believe readily, but he says they don't have any root in them. Because like that plant that can't put down deep roots and survive, when the heat's on, what happens? They shrivel and die. And then the person that he says is like the one sown among, the seed sown among the thorns. The thorns grow up, the cares of this life. And persecution comes along. And they turn away. They really did believe in Jesus. 
They really did decide to follow him. They really did make that commitment. But then when life came calling, they stopped following him because of the circumstances. And they fell away. Maybe their discipleship was real. They just didn't stick with it. But they let some circumstances move them away. Davis and Graham in their book call that deconversion. Deconversion. I don't know if that's an accurate way to put that or not, but it's striking, isn't it? That you've got the unconverted, the deconverted, and the converted. Somebody might ask, but can't somebody be a follower of Jesus and not be a part of the church? And I want to set the record straight on this biblically. No. No. Biblically, no. And here's why. Being a disciple means you love what Jesus loves. You love what Jesus loves. And Jesus loves the church. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, Paul said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her having washed her with water through the word, that she might be holy and without blemish. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If you don't love what Jesus loves, you're not a disciple of Jesus. He hasn't shaped your thinking. He hasn't gotten inside of you. He has not changed you in the way that you need to be changed. We talked about those disciples in Acts chapter 2 who after they heard the gospel repented and were baptized. Immediately after that, chapter 2 and verse 42 says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread and the prayers. What happened? These people who didn't know anything about Jesus heard about Jesus, committed themselves to follow Jesus, and immediately started meeting together and worshiping. That's the biblical model. The biblical model is a community of believers, not of lone wolf disciples. The biblical model is the people who band together in a common faith that they share together to work together on behalf of the gospel. They love what Jesus loves, and Jesus loves the church, and so they love it too. And so if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to love what he loves. And then that communal dimension of following Jesus is emphasized in another text in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning of verse 23. And I want you to listen carefully to this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You know what that verse is about? It's about not quitting. It's about not stopping. It's about not turning, turning away. Let us hold fast to our, our commitment without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want you to notice some things about that text. It says, first of all, that disciples have a responsibility to other disciples. We are to come together in order to stir one another up to love and good works. I can't just go off by myself and say, you know, those other people bug me. They get in my way, they frustrate me, 
They make me angry. They hurt my feelings. They whatever you want to put in that blank. I'm just going to follow Jesus by myself. God doesn't give you that privilege. Listen, if he didn't give his own son the privilege of saving us at a distance, he doesn't give you the privilege of being a disciple at a distance. You have a responsibility to meet with other disciples. And then notice that he says that not meeting can become a habit. It already had with some people. He said, don't, don't give up that. Don't neglect that, as is the habit of some already, because it's a habit that's dangerous, because it weakens us spiritually. Read verse 26, because it talks about being a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. You get spiritually weak for not meeting with other disciples, and you're in danger of deconversion. You see, in today's world, we need all the strength that we can get. This frenetic pace of life that Davis and Graham write about, that frenetic pace of life ought to be a reason that we do worship, not a reason why we don't. We ought to be coming together because we need, we need relief. We need shelter. We need to be with people who think like we do. You know, we're around people all week long who don't think like we do, who think horrible things, who believe in horrible things, who say horrible things, and we get to come together and be with like-minded believers who share our common faith and our common hope. And what a relief it is. And that's what we're supposed to do. That ought to make us want to worship all the more. Remember that analogy about not driving off a cliff? But driving down a hill, listen to Hebrews 2 and verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. He didn't say turn away from it. He said drift away from it. Now, you may be sitting there wondering, why are we talking about this? Especially since you're here. We're talking about folks that are not, and you're here. Okay. All right. There, there is a reason. Trust me. There is a reason. It's not so much to get you thinking about church attendance as to get you thinking about discipleship, as to get us all thinking about our commitment to the Lord. Because if you keep that intact, if you keep that intact, the rest will take care of itself. You will never become deconverted. As long as your attachment is to Jesus, you will never become deconverted. Discipleship is not circumstantial. A disciple will do what Jesus wants regardless of what other people say or regardless of what other people think or regardless of what other people want or regardless of what world conditions are like or regardless of what society is doing or what cliff it's running off today and another one tomorrow. Regardless of what the government encourages or doesn't encourage or even prohibits or doesn't prohibit, a disciple will do what Jesus wants. The apostles of Jesus in Jerusalem had that very issue put to them when they were commanded by the religious authorities, people under whose authority they lived all their lives. And they said, we don't want you preaching anymore in the name of Jesus. And they said, well... You'll have to figure that out for yourself. We must obey God rather than men. You know what that is? That's not rebellion, folks. That's disciple talk. That's disciple talk. Now, if you haven't yet made that decision 
It's time you did. In Mark 8, in verse 34, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That requires a conscious choice. That requires a deliberate decision on your part. You see, when those two men came to Jesus in Matthew 8, and they, they sort of wanted to follow him, but not really. He wasn't being harsh with those men who, who said, I want to follow you, but not yet. He just wanted them to know how urgent it is to make that commitment to him and not look back. You know, when that first man heard Jesus say, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You want to go with me? And you wonder, why would anybody ever make a decision like that? Why would anybody ever decide to do that that completely reorients your life and changes your priorities? I'll tell you why. It's because, first of all, you know you're a sinner. And second, you know that eternity is coming. And you don't want to face God as a sinner. And third, because you know that Jesus loves you so much. So much. That he gave his life. So that you might be able to be with him throughout all eternity. And I tell you this morning, if that doesn't make you a disciple... Nothing will. So do what those 3,000 did on the day of Pentecost. Don't ever look back. And if you don't ever look back, you'll never be deconverted. Let's stand together and sing. I have decided to follow Jesus.